Welcome to the Playing Big Podcast, a podcast about what it means to play big in life and business and about changing the world with big ideas and big action. I'm your host, Blaine Fine, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to this inaugural episode of Playing Big. Our first guest is the reason that this podcast exists, so let's get right into the show. He was born and raised in New York. He started as a real estate agent in Manhattan while still in high school. He went on to college writing his thesis on the residential brokerage industry, and then he worked in real estate, private equity, and development. After that, he went back to Harvard Business School and he got his MBA. Now, as all good startup stories go, the man I'm going to introduce you to today started a rocket ship of a company while shredding the slopes on a ski trip. Now, He's the founder of a rapidly scaling company, changing the way people think about real estate transactions and the real estate appraisal process. He's immensely curious. He's super high energy. He's filled to the brim with good ideas. He's a great leader. He's become a good friend. And he's all of 28 years old. He's flown over 100,000 miles over the past year, meeting with appraisers, learning their greatest pain points, as well as what makes them successful. Now, being the inaugural episode of the Playing Big podcast, a podcast presented by True Footage, a podcast about playing big in business and life, I thought it only appropriate to have the founder and CEO of True Footage on the show. We're going to be talking about real estate, appraisal, the future, the future reimagined, and a few things all appraisers should be doing to thrive in business and life. John Liss, welcome to the show, my friend. I've never been introduced like that. I, uh, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you to Blaine for this awesome idea and, and looking forward to kicking this thing off. Well, yes, super great to have you here. I thought it only appropriate to put together a, a reasonable intro. You know, we left out a ton of stuff, but uh, that's okay. They're going to learn a, a lot more about you, not only in this show, but in future shows, you'll be on the show a lot. So super excited to kick off this inaugural episode. Let's uh, so that people can get to know a little bit more about you beyond the intro. What's something that people don't typically know about you? I think other than that, you know, when I was a little kid, what really got me excited was numbers and maps. I was always obsessed with geography. I knew every state capital, every country capital. I used to fill out blank, you know, maps of the world and and figure out where all the countries in Africa and Europe were. Um, and I used to study the New York Times sports section every day. I would look at the standings, look at all the points of you know baseball, basketball, whatever. Um, and really, by kind of 10 or 11, real estate sort of became this mix of, of numbers and maps. Um, it was just the perfect marriage for me. And in, in the old days, I grew up outside New York. I really wanted to move into the city. Um, and so I used to study the apartment listings in the New York Times, highlight them, put them in a binder, memorize the prices and the listings and tell my parents when I think I found a good deal and it was time for us to move. Um, it, it didn't happen. So it wasn't that convincing. Um, and then when StreetEasy came out on Zillow, you know, the Zillow company now, it was game over for me. I would literally go home, uh, you know, skip my homework, memorize every building, all the comps, every associated floor plan. And by the time I, you know, got into the industry, I felt like I knew it pretty well. So I, I've always sort of been mesmerized with um, statistics and maps and, and real estate was perfect for that. Yeah. Well, 10 or 11 is pretty early to be getting into real estate. So it, there, there's obviously a long history there uh, and a love and a passion for it. Yeah. I mean, I think it, people always say, oh, were your parents in it? And obviously in New York City, there's a lot of people in the real estate industry. But no, it really came from this desire to move and, and the you know interest in all of the things that real estate kind of on the ground had to offer. 
Yeah, so let's let's dig into that a little bit. What was it, especially at 10 or 11, and then as you kind of progressed, uh, you know, it, it, we said in the intro, you were selling real estate while you were still in high school and New York real estate, which is not easy. Tell us what it was that fascinated you about real estate. I love a deal. Um, I loved, so I had an amazing mentor. I think that's kind of the first part of it. She's, you know, one of the largest producers in Manhattan and is still working and she's been kind of in the industry for 40 or 45 years. So I think mentorship was a huge part of, of bringing me into the industry and giving me a lot of opportunity. Um, but I think being able to watch transactions happen live, big and small, was just super exciting. I love the energy. I love the fast-paced elements of brokerage. And I think appraising has a lot of similarities in terms of the fast-paced job components. And that's super exciting for me as well. Yeah, and there's the obvious connection with the mentorship thing too. I mean, you mentioned how important the mentorship was to you, and it's obviously a, a big part of the appraisal field as well. So. I can see the connection and, you know, in our meetings, we, we're talking about it all the time and how important that, that mentorship piece is, that mentorship model. Yeah, I mean, I would not even be, you know, a quarter of who I am today without my mentor. Um, and she's, you know, has more energy than I do and is, is hilarious. Um, and uh, we still speak almost every day. So that was a huge part of, you know, my ability to be somewhat successful at an early age. Yeah, just really hammers home how important that whole mentorship piece is, even if it's not part of a, a business model like it is in the appraisal world. Just having business and personal mentors is super, super important. Let, let's talk about the connection, obviously, the, the deep real estate connection. Let's talk about how True Footage came about or came out of that. Yeah, so for me, you know, when I was always on Street Easy, it really changed the way people thought about real estate in the sense that data became a much more important part of the transaction. And you know, historically, brokers have been gatekeepers of information because there was a little black book and you either had the right broker who knew the information or you didn't. But the democratization of, of real estate data has really kind of brought in new people into the industry. And what I was finding all the time was that square footage, which is the driving metric for real estate, right? People always think about things on a dollar per square foot, especially in you know, condo projects in New York City. That was off. And I knew that because when I was a broker, you know, you'd go into one apartment and the broker would say, this one's 1,800 square feet. And then you'd go into a second apartment and the broker would say, this one's 1,800 square feet. And you'd be thinking to yourself, there is no way these two apartments are the same size. Something really weird is going on and there's a lot of manipulation happening. So I ended up buying this 3D camera, it's 23 pounds. I lugged it on my back. I walked across New York City to different neighborhoods. You know, maybe the Upper East Side was different than Chinatown or the West Village or Brooklyn. Maybe, you know, I wanted to really understand what was going on. And I found that on average, square footage was inflated by 16%, which is crazy, right? You're in New York City, the most expensive real estate market in the country, you know, one of the most expensive real estate markets in the world. Things are trading for $3,000, $4,000 a square foot, and people have no idea what they're buying. These are hedge fund people who are spending millions of dollars on apartments and they're buying things, square footage that doesn't even exist. I mean, I saw it in my own family, my parents moved, they bought a new house, they got it remeasured, it was totally off. So I knew that this was happening across the board. And then I you know, got to business school and was reading more and more about kind of all of the issues around data accuracy in the real estate industry, particularly the residential side, and saw that square footage was just the tip of the iceberg. A lot of the you know, real estate data aggregators have wrong information, bedrooms, bathrooms, condition, quality. So 
people have no idea what they're buying. Lenders have no idea what they're backstopping. And the U.S. government is footing the bill. So how is this, you know, the right way to do things? And where can we get accurate data? Which comes to appraisers who are, you know, the ultimate collectors of accurate data. They are in a position of extreme power. And I thought, okay, let's build a full stack appraisal experience because right now the industry is not living up to what, where it needs to be and where it can be given kind of all the smart people that are involved in the equation. And let's take some of these learnings from the lack of data standardization and plug them in, add technology, um, and really kind of hit a home run here. Yeah, and, and we talk all the time in, in, in company meetings, and it's a very common term uh, kind of in Silicon Valley and startup world, this full stack concept. For the listeners, can you kind of explain what you mean by a full stack company or full stack service organization? Yeah, I think, I mean, across every industry, right, healthcare, real estate, and a bunch of other large industries, we're seeing the need for turnkey kind of one-stop shops. And what people want is they don't want to get, you know, their, their data from one place and then have to go somewhere else to get their report and then have to go somewhere else to get the quality control. They want to be able to just plug and play. And I think that's very kind of on trend with, you know, the millennializ- the millennialization, I can never say that word, of the economy, um, where people just want that instant gratification. And so what we offer is a full stack appraisal experience. We, we get the data, we do the reports, and it's not just a software provider, even though we have our own software, it's not just the, the human, it's, it's everything and eventually, you know, databases as well. Yeah, so that, that kind of leads into this, this next idea or question, which is what do you see as the biggest challenges facing not only the appraisal industry coming down the pike, but the appraiser, the human in the process? Yeah, a lot. I mean, look, I think, you know, there's that saying, happy wife, happy life. Well, I say happy appraiser, happy lender. I think, you know, we've been spending the last couple of years where there's really just this kind of animosity built up with appraisers and everybody else. There's a lack of appreciation for what the appraisers do. And appraisers are spending too much time doing dumb shit. We need to let the experts do their jobs. Stop calling them for an update every five seconds. Stop requiring all these extra steps that do nothing to achieve the industry standard. We all want fast delivery. We all want accurate reporting. We all want to mitigate risk. It's in everybody's best interest, you know, whether you're an appraiser or a lender or a borrower. And that means that we need to let people focus and do their jobs. So when I think about the biggest challenge, I think it's about getting everybody, all the stakeholders aligned and stop pointing fingers and everybody just start working together. Yeah, and I don't think you're going to find, well, probably you will. I mean, you, you can't go into any industry and find where, where everybody agrees. But I think the having, you know, being an appraiser myself for the last 20 plus years, I don't think you're going to find a lot of appraisers who would disagree um, with with everything you just said as far as like uh, constant updates and bugging people and uh, not letting the human essentially do what they're good at. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I look, I, I think I want to say also, it's, it's a two-way street, right? you got to have accountability and you got to build the trust with your customers. At the end of the day, if, if you don't deliver when you say you're going to, then people shouldn't trust you. But we can build a culture where people do good work and honorable work and can be trusted. And then you should give those people, you know, some some room to grow. Yeah. And let's talk about that. We said in the intro, you, you've traveled over 100,000 miles around the country. I mean, when I met you, you were going from location to location to location. Uh, we met in Vegas at a, an appraiser conference. And then I think two days later, you, you jetted off somewhere else. And you've been meeting with with lots and lots of appraisers. 
what have what what did you find? What's the most interesting stuff you found in your conversations and when you stepped into offices and you rode around, you've been riding with appraisers and you've seen some crazy stuff, but what's the biggest most interesting thing you found about the the industry as a whole and appraisers in general? Yeah. Um, first of all, when you say jetted off, I mean, I was like in a middle seat on Spirit Airlines, so it wasn't exactly jetting off. But I think um, appraisers are really students of the real estate industry. And I've been kind of surprised at, um, you know, I read all the publications, read a bunch of articles about kind of people in the industry and you have one perception, but until you're actually on the ground speaking to people and understanding and meeting them where they are, you don't really understand how this industry ticks. Appraisers are extraordinarily hardworking and they really love their job. They, you know, look at every single house as a puzzle that they can solve and they're really excited by the opportunity. Not only that, I think most appraisers, you know, they like the, the craft, but they also are super interested in kind of extending their capabilities beyond just form filling, right? You have all these appraisers who have parlayed their experiences into owning businesses or buying buying and managing Airbnbs or fixing and flipping properties in a particular neighborhood because they're the ones on the ground who understand kind of like what is happening in each metro area and, and in each submarket of that metro area. And so I've been really kind of excited by how entrepreneurial appraisers are. Um, I think there's also this kind of notion that, oh, appraisers don't like change, appraisers don't like technology. And that's not really true. Appraisers are super excited about kind of all of the cool new things coming down the pipe and actually love technology. Um, It makes their job easier, it removes inefficiencies, and um, it's just about kind of communicating what you're actually providing and getting getting buy-in through kind of various channels. So yeah, so you, we've been on this process of, of of acquiring some of the best companies around the country, appraisal companies, and uh, the the good news is that the owners have all stayed on. It wasn't just buy up companies and then, um, you know, jettison the the owners. They they wanted to be part of this this growing organization, part of a bigger community and culture. Uh, but you've seen a lot of companies, big and small. What are, what are some of the big challenges you you've seen appraisers facing? that it maybe have kind of led to some of the the roadblocks and the challenges that they they do face? Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious, you know, first response to that is just there's an unlimited amount of demand right now for appraisals and people are overworked and burnt out. You know, it's been almost two years of this kind of surge. Um, So I think that's kind of the first problem. Um, And there's also just a a labor shortage, right? There's not enough appraisers in America. That's a well-documented issue, um, and and in particular neighborhoods and and in particularly rural areas. So I think those are kind of the the macro issues, Um, but those can be solved, right? And I think that there's kind of new ways of getting appraisals done that will help increase the efficiencies and allow appraisers to focus more on their work and also allow customers and borrowers and lenders to be more satisfied with the experience. Um, And I think that the lack of efficiency is kind of a a big issue that is not the fault of the appraisers, but is just kind of decades of, you know, bad practices kind of, you know, all coming to a a boiling point. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when I think about sort of all of the challenges um, I think the biggest one is just about getting more people into the industry and around sort of adding more efficiencies to the process. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, we talk about this all the time uh, in meetings that it's not just about, um, you know, speeding up and, and, and getting um, more product out the door. We talk all the time about work-life balance. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that because that's one of our core values. Um, it's part of our whole culture and our community. But how important is that to you as, a, as the CEO of the organization? Look, happier people do better work. I think that's just the, the you know, the answer, right? There's people who love working all day. There's other people who can be super efficient and don't like working all day. Um, and I think that if, as long as you build a culture where people are proud and, and excited and feel like they're being recognized and there's dignity in that work, you can build an awesome community. The other issue I think that will kind of speak to this work-life balance is being able to collaborate with a community of people actually makes people way more efficient and allows for a lot of synergies. For example, there's going to be less drive time if you have kind of more localized people on the ground that can pick up reports in different submarkets where there's a lot of traffic. So you're able to really kind of be strategic around your geography and around your density and around kind of how people are working and where they're working, which will allow for a lot more satisfaction because you'll remove some of the annoying barriers of, of you know, the appraiser life and will allow for more efficiency gains, you know, holistically as a company. So I think um, the work-life balance and the community piece actually are really kind of hand in hand. Yeah, love that. Um, you're, you're in conversations every day. You're, you're in very high-level conversations. You're on the ground conversations. What are some of the big changes that you see coming in the next few years? You know, we, we use that full stack word. So not just in the appraisal industry, but real estate, mortgage, lending, title, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole package. Yeah, look, I mean, I think um, anytime you have a seismic macro event like COVID or the Great Recession, for example, there's always changes. Some of the big changes after 2009 in the last 12 years in the real estate industry have been around you know, the single family residential market popping off and, and more people becoming renters. Um, obviously, Dodd-Frank brought a, a lot of changes to the appraisal industry, which we're starting to retreat from because that, that brought its own host of issues. Um, you obviously saw that the Amazon and Airbnbs of the world kind of change industrial and hotel. And I think that you're going to see a lot of um, changes to the, the real estate industry and how transactions get done in, the, in this next decade, um, similar to this previous decade. I think on the, on the brokerage side, you're going to see massive changes in the next decade, particularly on the buyer side, because you don't have this gatekeeper of information element anymore where um, people now have democratic access to listings um, and so I think that the need for paying people 6% is probably not going to be there. And you're already seeing that come down um, nationally. I think you're going to see more people move towards ownership and away from rentership, just as you see in kind of all these metro areas, rents for apartments have just hit, you know, sky high numbers and millennials are in prime home buying ages. Gen Z is, is moving up and there's going to be a lot more buying activity. And, you know, we've seen a lot of that in Texas and Florida and Arizona and the Southeast. Um, obviously, you have everything going on with kind of fintech and, and crypto. And I'm sure, you know, I don't know enough about that to speak intelligently, but I think that there's obviously going to be changes there with every industry. Um, and I think 
you know, another big change is just the automation of, of real estate. Obviously, real estate has always been kind of a slower moving machine and less digitized than others because it's a physical asset. And we've seen some construction tech companies come up and fail. That's obviously something that's got to get solved in terms of being able to build for cheaper. Um, and this valuation technology just needs to get better. I mean, we just saw a couple months ago a big company fall flat on its face, right? Um, because they don't trust the human and the local elements of what needs to get done in valuation. And that doesn't mean that consumers don't want the service, right? I think like a Robinhood, it would be awesome if I could check uh, my valuation every couple of days if it's my biggest asset. But right now, there's nothing that I can trust. And so how do you build something that is trustworthy? Yeah, great question. Uh, and, and it's a question I know that we ask all the time and uh, are working on. Um, as is, uh, we, we want to make a custom of, of this show is to, to leave people with uh, takeaways. What are some of the big takeaways or, or recommendations, things you think appraisers should and could be doing to um, essentially become more efficient, make more work less, and kind of get ahead of some of these changes and challenges? Yeah, I think the first couple of things are around data and technology. I encourage everyone to embrace data and technology. That doesn't mean that you need to change everything that you're going to do. Um, but I think the availability of data and the, and the wide variety of sources, and we still need to get way better and more accurate data, but data is here to stay in terms of its role in the industry. And I think especially with a lot of the conversations around bias, um, there is showing an, an increased need for everybody being treated equally. And I think data helps kind of level the playing field. Um, and technology can only make your life better. I mean, remember when, you know, I, I was like seven years old, so I don't really know why I'm saying that. But, you know, before there were all these form fillers, people were walking around with a clipboard and a measuring tape. And think about kind of how much more efficient and easy things are with even that basic technology, which still, by the way, hasn't been updated in the last, you know, 15 years or so. So we need to get better at it. But I think that the idea that technology is not your friend is, is kind of a, a fallacy. And there's ways to weaponize it to your own good to bill out more cash and, and have a you know, better quality of life. And that's kind of what we're focused on. And then the last thing that I think is important is, is around team building. I think we're seeing um, you know, the last 18 months or 24 months at this point has been pretty lonely for a lot of people across a variety of industries. And you know, there's been a lack of communication amongst different groups and shops in this industry in particular. And that has, you know, stunted innovation because people aren't sharing their good ideas. And I see crazy things every day. I mean, whether I'm in Tucson or, you know, Greenville, South Carolina, I've seen appraisers really come up with crazy, awesome solutions. And the ability to share that is only going to make that person in Tucson and that person in Greenville, you know, better. Yeah. Okay, so tough question. Yeah. You, you said the bad word, the four-letter word. doesn't begin with F. It begins with D. It's the word data. Uh -huh. And data in the real estate appraisal world quite often is, is weaponized, the word you just used. Uh, and appraisers quite often tend to, to kind of perpetuate the myth that um, every big company out there is just trying to collect data off the backs of the appraiser to essentially put them out of business. What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, we've heard that with one, one, one particular company all the time, right? Um, and I think there's a couple of things that's different about our, our platform. Number one is, 
you know, appraisers are the majority shareholders in terms of the numbers of people in, in this company. And we fully believe in paying people for their sweat equity and making sure that they're the ones who built this industry and they're the ones who should get rewarded, right? When I first started this company, I was working with Brian Aarons, who's now a part of our company. And we were bouncing ideas off each other. I was just a curious kid in school. And one day I turned to him and said, no, you should own part of this and let's do that together. And, and, and let's figure out this merger and figure out how it works. And that's exactly what we did. So I think this is an opportunity to get in on the ground floor. We've, you know, raised one of the largest rounds ever for, I think the largest round ever for an appraisal company and one of the largest rounds ever in a prop tech for a series A. We are hyper-focused on building the future and the future is, you know, data services in the residential space. And we want appraisers to own a piece of that future. Yeah, that's really great. So you've already kind of touched on some of it in, in some of the different answers, but um, some, some of the skills that appraisers are going to need moving forward in, over the next, say, two to five years. What are the top, say, three? I think number one is just an open mind. Um, I think, you know, that's true for everybody. There's going to be a lot of changes in the economy post-COVID, and people really just need to be able to embrace change. And I think the second is, is a go-getter attitude, which isn't really a problem for appraisers, but there's a lot of lenders who are looking for alternate sources of appraisal reports. They're moving away from the model of the last 12 years because it didn't serve them well and, and moving more towards this direct engagement model. We've seen this with, with different lenders and appraisers need to be in a, a position to capitalize on, that, on these changes. And then a third is just a, a willingness to learn um, and just, you know, look around. I think that um, there's answers all around us, and I think that's something that I really kind of figured out on the road is that there's a lot of pieces here, and it's just about putting together all of the right pieces and provi providing the market with kind of a super group-like experience where everybody has all of the pieces you know, in their own office and then can scale that from there. Yeah, uh, and, and I can tell you from um, having been part of this organization that uh, that whole super group concept and idea and we use that term well, we use it colloquially there's no actual group named the super group uh, but it's like every time we bring somebody in it just adds and elevates the group and we keep the we keep referring to the super group that keeps growing um, in, in our meetings and our masterminds and in our coaching calls and things like that yeah and but I think you know I just wanted to chime in one other really important yeah. you know tailwinds here that is super exciting for people across the world, right, is this idea of location independence and, and remote work. And I think that's something that has been very difficult for appraisers for a long time, understandably. But um, we have people that, you know, spend the winter in Massachusetts. Sorry, they definitely don't do that. They spend the summer in Massachusetts and the winter in South Florida. And that's, you know, yep. a super exciting proposition, especially for people that are, you know, aging, thinking about retirement and maybe, you know, thought they were aging out of the industry. Well, now they can have more flexibility and maybe do a couple of reports a day if they want to on their own time and in their own space. And I think that's something that people have not thought about as, as a, a real option. And that's something I encourage people to think about now. Yeah. And that kind of speaks to the whole concept of scaling, um, you know, as, as an industry coach, um, having coached appraisers for, for several years now, 
one of the big challenges is, is scaling for, for all of them because they're out there doing the work, doing they're, they're grinding away, they're doing the inspection, they're pulling the comps, they're doing all the data entry and the writing. They might have some people helping with it. But yeah, that idea of location independence is um, kind of a foregone conclusion for many of them. They, it, it's very difficult for them to imagine because they're so tied to the process of seeing the house and doing that part of the, the appraisal uh, that really to, to kind of ignite that idea of location independence, scale is required and it's it, it kind of seems that uh, true footage has brought scale and that ability that opportunity of location independence to a lot of appraisers because we're able to pair up an appraiser in one area with an appraiser who's got geographic competency in another area so appraiser could retire move down to florida or live there part of the year and do report writing and some other aspects of the report and i'm assuming that's what you're referring to yeah absolutely um and i think you know one of the things that we've seen uh, when you talk to people is, oh, I, you know, I'm a sole proprietor. I don't want to give up my freedom. Well, this actually gives you more freedom because you have more people that can help out when you need it and you have access to a lot more resources. And we have seen many, you know, dozens of appraisers who say, I've always wanted to do this or I've always wanted to do that. Well, give us your craziest idea and let's go. I mean, that's kind of like what this, this whole thing's about. And we've been able to use that kind of momentum and push people to new heights. We got people, you know, breaking their numbers every month and it's awesome. I mean, they're all pumped up. And I think that's something that's really exciting about kind of being able to work together to, you know, blow this out of the water. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, the, the, the culture we, we have um, so early on is super, super exciting. You say it all the time in meetings. Uh, I've heard you say it probably a dozen times in the last month that we're a very flat organization, that although we have different roles and titles and there's people all over helping and uh, C-suite levels and leadership levels and team leaders and regionals, uh, but we like to think of it as very flat, meaning we're all just kicking in and helping wherever it's needed. So let's shift gears a little. Let's talk about some of that stuff mm -hmm. uh, because you, you, you mentioned the... The, the crazy ideas, it's one of your strengths, I think, as a CEO, I've come to learn, is uh, you're, you are very open, you love ideas, um, and, and we've seen where somebody will throw out an idea and within two days it's taken a life of its own and it's off and running and we're turning it into something. As a CEO, when was the last time you changed your mind about something and how did that affect things? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm not a stubborn person um, and I think changing your mind is important, right? You have to be, listen to people, get convinced and, and make decisive decisions and see them through. Um, I think, you know, you have to be careful about shiny penny syndrome and make sure that you stay focused on the task at hand. And we've been able to do that. You know, we were four people in July. We're over 220 people at this time. We're going to double again. We're working with over 200 vendors. We, you know, just kind of commercially launched less than six months ago. So we've been staying focused. But um, I think that it's always important to also be open to changing course and, and, you know, hearing what the market says and taking feedback and iterating. So when's the last time I changed my mind this morning? You know, I was on a call. At, I, I wake up super early. I was on a call at 5.15 this morning and, you know, I had a call with, with someone on the team and they convinced me to do something else. So I think every day you're changing your mind. Um, but it's also you got to kind of give people time to see things through. So I think you just kind of answered my next question, but I, I, I want to answer, I want to ask it anyway, but knowing what you know about the challenges of being a CEO, going from, you know, four people 
whatever time period of time ago, a very short period of time to over 220, and we'll probably be doubling that um, shortly. Would you do it all over again? Are you kidding? Yes. <laughs> I mean, every day I could not be more energized or more excited about anything ever. I mean, how are you feeling? I guess is more important. Yeah, I, I love it. Well, and, and it's important to say, again, uh, I've been doing this 20 plus years. I was in real estate and, and mortgage before that, but um, I own an appraisal company. I've built three other appraisal companies over a 20 year period. Uh, I have a, a, a coaching business and uh, you and I met up in, in Vegas. I had no interest, uh, no plans to make any changes. And uh, it was after you, you and I sat for uh, probably three hours. I remember because it was a, 114 degrees. We're sitting in the Bellagio lobby. I'm sweating. I have a sweating problem. So I was yeah. sweating like crazy. We, we had to move inside <laughs> from outside because it was so hot. Um, and, and yeah, we just sat there for, for several hours talking about the industry and about changes and what we all saw. And obviously there was some, some synergy there. And then we just kept talking. And over that time, uh, over a couple of weeks, uh, it, here I am. Uh, and, and so it, yeah, I mean, I look, like I wake up every morning, I beat my alarm clock by literally two or three hours every day. I can't wait to look at my phone to see what's going on on the East coast. Um, cause I'm, you know, on the West coast, I see all the opportunities available in the real estate industry and think that this is just the type of tip of the iceberg. Obviously appraisers have access to data and, and, you know, the cliche about data being the oil of the 21st century is true. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, we're well capitalized and we're playing in the $17 trillion housing market and there's a ton of inefficiencies. So if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what does. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I think it would excite most people. So let, let's talk the, the people and the culture and the community piece. Um, wh what are the traits that you look for when you're interviewing and you're hiring both from the appraisal side as well as the internal, the admin side? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that diversity of thought is extremely important. And I think that we've done a good job of, of bringing people in from you know various backgrounds. Obviously we have people from the appraisal industry, but people from not even real estate and product people and tech people and legal and trainees. So I think the importance of having a, a wide variety of opinions and, and different experiences is critical to building a successful organization. In terms of personal attributes, I think grit is is one that is extraordinarily important to me. Um, and I think appraisers have that in droves. They've dealt with ups, they've dealt with downs. They're not really flustered. Um, and I think that that's a really important part of, of dealing with, you know, the ups and downs of, of startup life. Um, this is not for the faint of heart. Um, I think that, you know, if, if you want a, a cushy situation, you know, there's a lot of institutional roles where there's not... Um, you know, so much kind of pressure. Um, and this is not a pressure cooker, but it's a startup. And so things are not developed. And so it, it can go, you know, there's days that you feel overwhelmed, but that's what's super exciting and rewarding when it's all done. Um, and I think urgency. Um, and the urgency comes from a lot of different, you know, areas. Obviously, you know, we want our lenders and our appraisers to have a better experience and we want to deliver on that. You know, I always tell everyone, think of the appraisers as your ultimate customers because they're the ones that are going to power everything else. Um, and then there's just so much bad shit that we want to change, right? Like, and I don't want to wait. Um, and I think that um, there's a lot of kind of issues more broadly in the mortgage and housing ish in industries that 
really need urgent solutions and we can't just be talking about them and identifying the problems. We gotta go out and solve them. And so we're looking for people who think outside the box, who see brick walls and figure out ways to bulldoze them. Um, and you know, I think the airport test is important. Uh, you know, I could talk to a doorknob, so I don't know how relevant it is for me, but I think, you know, being able, you, you're, you're in the trenches, we're talking all the time, um, and uh, you got to like who you work with, um, and I think, you know, everybody really likes each other so far, so that's been really awesome. Yeah, I would agree, and you touched on an important point, uh, which is a great segue, because uh, a lot of startups, they don't focus, um, I think, to their detriment on community, culture, mission, vision, values. Um, they might say they do, but as we all know, that a whole mission, vision, values thing, the, the mission and the vision and the core values can be just a dusty plaque that ends up on the wall. Um, we've made it a real priority early on to kind of work on and what we call socialize uh, the core values. We started it months ago uh, at an offsite meeting with the kind of the super group and leadership team. And we started with just this, uh, the, these eggs, if you will, uh, of these ideas, and then we, 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 we kind of spread it throughout the organization. We got feedback from anybody, and you talked about one of them just now, which is urgency. Now, our core value, the way the wording came out, was action is our first instinct. That's kind of how we, we morph that urgency piece into a core value. But of mission and vision and values mm -hmm. in a startup, start the startup environment, of those three, which do you think is most important? I, well, I know what you're going to say, um, and I have a, a slightly different take on it. I think mission is the most important, um, and I think that our mission is to clear paths of home to clear paths of, of home ownership for Americans, um, and that hinges on data transparency. If we can build a platform that has the most accurate and most trusted data on the market, then we can build a universe where consumers can act can transact with confidence, where appraisers can do their job more quickly, where lenders can um, you know, know what, what they're actually putting a mortgage on, and where the US government has confidence in what they're buying. So we don't end up in a situation where you know, we have a buyer who is overpaying for things. Um, and so I think that that mission is the most important. Um, obviously, that is very kind of intrinsically tied to vision and um, values. Um, but if I were to pick, I would say mission and, you know, what's hard is obviously there's so much that we want to go do, but Rome was not built in a day. Um, and I think that we are super focused, we're moving fast, but we got to recognize that, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day and, and we'll, we'll, every day is, is another day to kind of see this mission through. I appreciate that, John. I appreciate you, my friend. Uh, I appreciate all of the insights and the answers you gave. I threw some at you that, uh, I think you handled like a pro. Uh, which, of course, the listeners will get a lot of value from, as is going to be the custom on the Playing Big podcast, is we are going to donate to the charity of the interviewee's choice. So who can we bless with your donation? I'm going to donate to Impact Justice, which is nonprofit of a couple of friends in an accelerator that I was in. Um, Impact Justice is focused on issues around mass incarceration, and they're doing some really awesome work. So I encourage everybody to check it out. Impact Justice. John Liss, thank you again, my friend. Listeners will, of course, uh, see you more often on, on this show. Uh, super excited that you were the first, the inaugural episode, and all the great info that you gave. So thanks. Thanks. Really appreciate it.